and we see some of the Easter roses blooming out there. Thank you, Carrie, for putting your time into that. The weather has been a little bit not on our side because it's been colder, actually, than it normally is. Well, that's what I'm told. Of course, I was also told it doesn't rain around here, so... But, uh, but you know, if you want to, if you want to grow something in your yard, if you want to grow a plant or a flower, you want to create an environment that that plant can grow well and can succeed. Maybe you buy a, a certain soil or, or maybe you get some fertilizer to put some nutrients in the soil. Maybe, maybe you put it in a, in a place that it gets enough sun or maybe it doesn't get too much sun. And maybe you uh, water it. Maybe you do the drip system. Or maybe you just go out there and water it every day. But the point is, you're trying to create an environment for that plant to be able to succeed. And in a spiritual way, we are like plants. And God designed us to grow. To to show forth the glory of God. To be like Jesus Christ. And in fact, we are saved we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to, to shine forth the glory of God. And God wants you to bring glory to him as you trust him in faith and as you, as you follow his word and worship him. But, but the question is, how can you have the best chance at success in bringing glory to God and growing spiritually? And what environment does God provide for you to grow and to bring him glory? What environment has God provided for your spiritual growth? Well, the answer to those questions, the answer is the church. One of God's amazing gifts he gives to each Christian is the blessing of a local church. And that's what we're talking about the past two weeks. We've been talking about church. The church is the environment that God has supplied for each of us to grow and to serve and to encourage one another and to be strengthened, to find community, to to belong, to enjoy fellowship, to experience the holy presence of God. In fact, if you have a handout, you can follow that, uh, follow the outline on our handout. And the first scripture we have there is Matthew 18, 20. And Jesus was speaking about the church and he said, where two or three are gathered in my name in the church, there I am among them. And so the church is a place where we can come and experience like we just did and like we are now experiencing the worship of God. And you might have heard, I've heard this before, you might have heard people say, well, I don't need the church to grow spiritually. Maybe they, they say in tongue in cheek, they say, you know, I, I can just go to Couch Christian Church, right? And watch TV and grow that way. Or maybe they go to Pillow Presbyterian, Bedside Baptist, whatever you want to call it. Heard one person say it's Church by the Lake with Pastor Piper on podcast. But, but it's interesting because people maybe don't say that verbally, but the idea, that's the idea some people have is I don't really need an organized church like this. And, and I understand that there are churches that hurt people. And if that's the case, on, on behalf of the Lord, I, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I understand there's churches that are unhealthy. And, and sometimes we can be unhealthy, right? And so I understand some of those things happen because the church is full of people who are saints, who are made holy by God. 
but we are first sinners <laughs> made holy by God. And so sinners, what do they do? Sinners sin, right? And grace-filled people give grace to people. But I understand that that might be your background. But, but the, the idea that God has of church is that he wants you to be involved or he wants you to be in this environment to grow spiritually. Being a Christian without the church is like putting a plant in a, a closet and hoping it will grow. Or putting a plant outside in the cement and hoping that it will grow without soil. You know, sometimes people struggle with, with their marriages or with an addiction or you're depressed or you're lonely. And, and so you, you want help. What I found many times is people say, well, I don't want anyone in my church to know what's going on. And I don't want to talk to my pastor about that. And so I'm going to go talk to someone else about it. In fact, I've even, since I've been in See Me here, I've had uh, people call me that are, aren't from our church. And we'll say, hey, I, could you do some counseling for us? Okay, great. What church do you go to? And they'll tell me this good gospel preaching church in town. And they'll say, and I'll say, well, why don't you go talk to your pastor in your church, you know? And, well, I just don't know if I don't want them to know what's happening just because it's kind of embarrassing. Well, if, if the church isn't, to, isn't the place for you to grow spiritually, then what is it for? It's not a place for us to dress up and just pretend that we're all good people. Right? It's a place for us to be honest, and it's a place for us to open up, appropriately open up about our struggles and receive God's grace provided from God as he uses people to speak words of grace to us. So God giving us grace as we serve one another and with God's word for God's glory. So the church is so necessary. And I would actually argue it's not just important for your spiritual growth. I would argue that the scriptures present no alternative. You can't be a healthy Christian unless you are involved in a part of a healthy church. Now you say, ah, Pastor Ben, where do you get that from? Well, you can look at your sheet. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. What does it say? Each person within a local church must exhort one another once a year on Easter. Wait, is that what it says? I'm sorry. Every, every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if we as Christians are not properly connected to God and relating to him through Christ and relating to other believers, then we find ourselves in, in a dry and spiritual and actually a very dangerous place in life. So the question then is this, is, is what does a healthy church environment look like. And so that's why we're talking about the church. That's why two weeks ago we talked about why church? What's the purpose of the church? And you can kind of flip back and forth on your paper there, but if you flip your paper, you can see what we said. Why is there church? Well, our vision is we're doing everything for God's glory. And the reason we have church is because our mission here is to serve one another by God's grace, with God's word, for God's Glory, And we said that God is most glorified through the church. We minister grace to one another through two primary means of grace. And that is his spirit and spirit's gifts that he gives us. And so we give grace to other people by his grace, by his spirit, I should say. And then with his word. The church is a place that should be filled with grace. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. We should be filled with grace. We get grace from God and we should give grace to others with our words as we speak the word of God. 
Sometimes churches can be filled. We can be filled personally, the pastor and you as individuals in the church. We can be filled with, with selfishness and vainglory. I want this. That's mine. I, I, I'm not having my way. Or why don't these people do this for me? Instead of that mindset, God wants us to have the mindset that we are here to serve one another. How can I serve that person? Because I want to bring glory to God. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to depend upon God as I pray and as I'm in the word of God. We do it all for his glory and we sacrifice our rights and our glory to serve others for his glory. So we must know why we're here. And then secondly, last week we talked about what the church is. Who are we? What, what are we to do? And so if you look at the, the sheet of your paper that has the little graphic on there, little picture that I put underneath that, it says what the church is, that we are a community of Christ disciples. I would like to read this together as a church. So if you have your hand out there, you can look at that and it's where it says we are a community of Christ disciples. And so what is the local church? Well, this is what I believe the Bible teaches a local church is. And there, there's a lot of facets within the local church. Okay, so this is just a summary of some major ideas. So let's read this together. We are a community of Christ's disciples who, by God's grace, are committed to Christ and to each other that come together to gather in group and that confess to the world the gospel of Christ. So look with me in Acts chapter 2, where I believe the Bible teaches this. We're going to look at verses 41 through 47. Acts 2.41 says, those who received his word, Peter preached the word, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you will bless the preaching, the exposition of your word. And I want to be faithful to what your word says. So I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth reflects what your word teaches and empower me and actually all of us in here to understand, to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit and then to go out and, and live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The past few months, I've been uh, preaching through Mark. And the past three weeks, we've been talking about the church. But it's interesting. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit can bring things together? Because as I, was, as I was studying this passage this past week and the week before, I realized that many of the things we've been talking about in Mark are actually reflected here in this passage. And we learned in Mark about Jesus, or we are learning in Mark, about Jesus living in community. Living in community with his disciples and with the Lord, with his father, I should say. 
And it's interesting to consider that what you see here in Acts, Acts chapter 2, is actually not something that's brand new. It's not a completely new idea. It wasn't like the apostles got up one day and went, let's, let's create this thing called the church. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. What do you think it should have, you know? It's not like they had the, the committees, you know, churches sometimes have committees that meet for a couple years and decide at the end of those years that they got a lot done. Uh, and that basically that meant they just met a lot. <laughs> they actually had nothing to show for it. It wasn't like they had some committee that did that. But actually, this was something the church was designed by God, listen, before the creation of the world. And then the theology and the design of the church was taught by Jesus to his disciples. They didn't come up with it on their own. Jesus gave them this idea. And one of the ways he taught them about the church was actually through his example. I read a study yesterday from Eastern Illinois University. It was interesting. It found that that around 20-some, I think it's 23% of the population in America, of Americans, are atheists or don't believe in God or claim no religion which is now above the percentage of how many evangelicals there are in America. I think there's evangelicals that were like 21 or 22%. And evangelical is a very broad term. We would fit within that, but there's also some other people that fit within it that I don't want to be fit with. <laughs> but 20, Catholics are another, I think, 22, 23%. My, my point is this, is that there's a large demographic in our country that don't, not even don't go to church. They don't even believe in God. And so sometimes people look at church and what we're doing and think, oh, what's an, what an old-fashioned thing. How do we get young people to be interested in the things of God? Let's rethink church, you know, or let's make it so it's entertaining so we can bring them in. But the church actually is God's idea. So, so you actually need to go to the scriptures to see what does God say? It's not a matter of, oh, how can we bring people in? That's, that's an incorrect way to think about it. We actually need to go to God's word. And, and what Jesus has presented to us in the gospels and then what we see in Acts and then through the rest of the New Testament is God's idea. And we need to follow what he says and, and follow his pattern. It's his bride, the bride of Christ. And you can keep your finger in Acts too, but would you go with me to Mark chapter 1? What I want to do is before we kind of dive into Acts 2, I want you to see how Jesus passed on to his disciples the spiritual environment in which believers are to relate to God and to relate to one another within the church. And so in Mark chapter 1, we're not going to go through all this in Mark, but I want you to see this is really interesting. We've been studying this, so this is just a review. But in Acts chapter 2, like God did some amazing things. People were saved. I mean, it changed their life. Individuals sacrificed financially and of their time to care for other people, to support the gospel. Marriages and parents and individuals had their lives transformed. They forsook sin and they started pursuing the things of God. I mean, and if you would have been a part of that church, it would have been blown your mind, right? Amazing things happened. Well, the one who gave the, the church that model was Jesus Christ himself. And if you remember in our study of Mark, we looked at different relational groups <clears throat> that the disciples um, that disciples had and Jesus fostered. And Jesus constructed, you might say this way, Jesus constructed a, a spiritual environment for these disciples to grow within. And there's four components, or you might say four settings, four relational settings that these disciples live within. The first of all, you can see, 
If you flip your paper back over, you can see number one, the first relationship was their personal relationship with Jesus. Look down at Mark 1, 17. <clears throat> the Bible says, Jesus said to them, follow, what is it? Me, follow me. And Jesus invited these disciples to repent and believe in Jesus. And what he's doing here, he's not just saying, listen, you can have forgiveness of sins, although you can. He's saying, come into a personal relationship with me. And then Jesus also modeled that with his father. In fact, if you look down in Mark 1.35, again, this is a review. Rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, what did he do? He prayed. And so you can see that Jesus emphasizes this important relationship that he has with his father. And he thinks this is important for us. It's, it's where spiritual life starts and is sustained. It's with a relationship with God. And then the second relational setting was the large group setting. The corporate gathering of God's, of Christ's disciples under his teaching. And we could see this throughout the gospel of Mark. But you see on a regular basis, Jesus teaching in synagogues and to the multitudes. And just, he's expounding the word. And what's he doing? He's actually teaching in parables. Why was he doing that? Because he was teaching his disciples. And there were other people listening in, but he's teaching them God's word. If you look in Mark 1, 39, it says that he went throughout all Galilee. And what was he doing? He was preaching in the synagogues. He was teaching the word of God. <clears throat> and then you see this third relational group uh, allowed the disciples to grow spiritually. The third group was a smaller group of the twelve Disciples, go to Mark chapter 4 and verse 13. You're going to have to exercise your fingers today because we're going to be flipping through the Bible here. There's a lot more of this, by the way. Mark 4, 13. Or I guess you might have to uh, work on your pointer finger if you're on your phone. Mark 4, 13 says, And he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. They came to him, and he appointed twelve He named them apostles so they might be with him. And so these men lived life with Jesus. And we've seen it. They've shared meals together. They go to an upper room and pray together. They're spending their, they're sharing their spiritual lives, their physical lives with each other. It's interesting that Jesus spent the majority of his ministry with 12 men. And his strategy to take the gospel to the world was to invest intentional time, and listen, in this small group of disciples. Isn't that interesting? And then the fourth group, fourth relational setting, were the close discipleship relationships, or you might call them mentorships, that Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. Look at Mark 5, 37. This is the account where Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead, and... Jesus allowed no one, verse 37, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So here you see these three guys, all the disciples and everyone else were outside, and they got to see this amazing miracle. Flip over to Mark chapter 9. Jesus goes up on the mountain to be transfigured and to show the disciples his glory, but he only takes three, verse 2, Mark 9, 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And so 
he's going to go and pray with these guys right before he's about to die. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he wants to pray with some men. Who does he invite to pray with him? Well, you don't need to look this up, but who are, who are the men that he said, come and pray with me? Peter, James, and John. These, these men became the pillars of the church, particularly Peter and John. And Jesus modeled this relational setting, and he created that with even in his own disciples. You don't have to flip here, but if you go to Mark 6, 7, you can see that Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. In fact, even how the disciples, when you see the list of the disciples, he puts them in groups of four with a leader in each group. So the disciples, 12 of them are in groups of four with a leader in each group, and then he sends them out two by two. And you're saying, like, what's the point? My point is that Jesus modeled here this, these discipleship close friendships. So go back with me to Acts chapter 2. What we witnessed in Acts in this early church was not something new. The church was continuing the pattern that Jesus had set before these men. A couple of weeks ago, I went outside in my backyard, and my son, Ivan, my four-year-old, had a hammer in his hand. He had a piece of wood and a nail, and he was trying to nail with his hammer, trying to hammer with his nail, whatever. He was trying to hit the hammer with the, uh, the nail with the hammer. And, and I was kind of scared for him, you know, he's a four-year-old and he's taking his hammer and he's trying to get a whack at it. And he's, you know, doing the tap, tap, tap. But now where do you think he got that idea from? Well, I, that shed back here, I've been trying to fix it up a little bit. And so I was doing some nailing. And, and of course, when I nailed, I went boom, you know, and hit it in there, try to do one or two or, you know, at the most, if I'm a wimp, do three hits of the nail. But so that's what he was trying to do. In other words, he just followed my pattern, didn't he? And that's what you see the disciples doing. They're following the pattern of Jesus with the early church here in Acts, 120 disciples. They gather in the upper room. They, they pray together like Jesus prayed. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go out and preach. Peter preaches like Jesus preached. 3,000 souls repent and trust in Jesus and they join this, this newly formed church. And this church then has an environment of four relational settings that follows the pattern of Christ. And so I want you to just kind of go through this and acts here and show you this. I think this is important for us to, to realize. I'm really just trying to convince you that this is actually God's pattern for you. So first of all, what was the first relational setting that, that they had in the church? Well, Peter preached, and what did he preach? Repent, <laughs> right? Turn to Christ. And so the first relational setting within the church that we should have is you should have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why, flip with me to Acts chapter 3. This is what uh, Kerry read earlier in the service, but I want to highlight it and help you remember what he, was, what he read. Peter preached, and Peter concluded with this, Acts 3.19, repent and turn back to Christ, right? Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And so, so Peter presents these, these individuals, these Jewish people, that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you enter a relationship with God through Christ when you turn from your sin and turn from your way and you trust in Jesus. And that's why last week I said that we must be committed to Christ. Lighthouse Bible Church, that's what we are. We're a church that's committed to Jesus Christ, which means we have personally repented and we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our Lord. And we picture that union in baptism. 
So each one of us in here that are part of Lighthouse, we've said we've done that, right? We've said that we have repented and we are still believing and we've been baptized. We've presented that picture to the church. And I I think that as you, I'm not going to do this. I was going to go to a couple of other passages. But if you look through Acts, you can see that these people lived sacrificial lives. These people lived their life for Jesus Christ. You see them praising God and worshiping the Lord. In fact, they even go through torture, don't they? And you see some of them in prison. And what are they doing in prison? They're singing and rejoicing and praising God. And where does something like that come from? It comes from a personal relationship with the Lord. And I think when you talk about something like this, I, as a pastor, I must have us think about and really ask this question. And that is, what is your present relationship with Jesus Christ like right now? All of us, if we're Lighthouse Bible Church, we're saying we are in close relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. So what's the condition of your relationship with Jesus Christ? See, everything we're going to talk about, the gathering of the church, the grouping of the church, discipleship, it flows from this right here. Like, if we don't have this right, then the, all of all, all, everything else is messed up. In fact, listen to this that John writes in 1 John 1, 7. He says, if we walk in the light, that's Jesus, as he is in the light. In other words, if you're walking in fellowship with God, and you're loving him, and your hopes in him, you're, you're transparent and joyful in the Lord. It says we have fellowship with one another. Where does our fellowship come from with one another? It's sourced in our fellowship with Jesus Christ. And if you're in here and you have a broken relationship with someone in the room, you've got to go back and ask yourself, well, what's my relationship with the Lord like? In fact, that's why he says only one verse, two verses later, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for believers right there. That should be a daily thing. So we do have sometimes conflict in in churches. We should go back then to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Make sure that that's in the proper place. And the second relational setting these believers entered into was the corporate fellowship of the church. Right after they were saved and the baptized. And they were baptized. They didn't just drift off into their community and go back and to their homes. They actually, on a regular basis, gathered. And so if you look at your sheet on the other side, you can see, I said, committed to one another means we are a unified membership that serves one another. We picture that unity with the Lord's table. And I remember I said, membership is a commitment that you make to God and you make to each other. In fact, we might in a few weeks have some new members. We have some people that have turned in their applications and finished in a members class. And so that's really an exciting thing. And we said, that's who we are. And then what do we do? We said, what we do is we come together to gather. And so that's what I preached on last week. And I want you to see in the book of Acts how important this is. This wasn't just something that they did once in a while. This was a regular gathering they had. Would you just, would you like walk with me with your fingers through the book of Acts and see this? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. This is our passage for today. But I want you to see these two types of the gatherings and then the groupings. So Acts 2, 46 says, Day by day, attending the temple together. So there are thousands of them are in the temple, hearing Peter and the apostles preach the word, and then breaking bread in their homes. From, from house to house they were doing that. And then go to chapter 3. 
Acts 3, verse 1, the Bible says Peter and John were going to the temple to do what? To pray. Who do you think they were going there to pray with? The church. In fact, if you look down in chapter 3, verse 11, Peter and John heal a man. And then verse 11 says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's where Jesus would teach. And now Peter was pre- teaching and preaching there. And in verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed and preached to the people. In verse chapter 4, look at verse 1. It says, as they were speaking to the people. That's talking about the church. He was preaching the gospel. Verse uh, Acts 5.12. Acts 5.12, many signs, now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together, that's the church, they were all together in Solomon's portico. In verse 25 of chapter 5, and some came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison, that's the apostles, are standing in the temple, and they're doing what? They're teaching so they're having church that's what they're doing they're having their church service there okay acts 542 in every day in the temple that's the large gatherings and then from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the that christ is jesus then look down in acts 11 or look over in acts 11 25 so you see that the church is spreading out And they're actually spreading to other cities now through persecution that's kind of driven them to other parts of the Roman Empire. In verse 25 of Acts 11, so Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So the church in Antioch was a great many people and they would go and they would teach them. That's where they were first called Christians. Go to Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Just a couple more verses. Really going to try to convince you here this morning. This is important for us. Acts 14, 27. And again, this is in Antioch. And when they arrived, verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together. So that's, I mean, think about how many people that would have been. They gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them. They gave their missionary update and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Look at Acts 15.30. And again, here they are in Antioch. And it says, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation in Antioch together, they delivered a letter. Look down in uh, Acts 20, verse 7. This is a, a pretty this is a very important passage here because it gives us an indication of when they met. Acts 27, uh, 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week. So we see the pattern that they started to have here is that they started meeting the day that Christ was resurrected, that Christ rose again. On the first day of the meet, week, when they were gathered together, this is the church in Troas, to break bread. Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul talked with them and then he spoke and he preached till midnight. Now, some of you are like, Pastor Ben, I think you go that long sometimes too. But, and the last one, look at Acts 20, 20. This is the last one in Acts we're going to look at. Paul says, I 
did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Listen to this. Teaching you in public. There's the larger gathering. And then from house to house. Okay, so we're done flipping through there. We could have gone to other passages. But what I'm trying to convince you of is this, is it's so important for the church to gather together to hear the teaching of God's word. Committed to each other means we're committed to gathering together as a church. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't neglect the gathering together as the habit of some is. Because we need to be encouraging one another. And, and sometimes we can take a kind of a, a flippant approach to, to gathering as a church. But we're commanded not to neglect it. We see the pattern here in Acts that these, these individuals, these believers, passionately gathered with each other. And so to despise the gathering is actually, number one, to disobey God. And also on top of that, it's the environment that God has given to you so that you can grow spiritually within these different relational settings. And then third, we see the relational setting of the smaller gatherings within the church. And like the disciples grouped together with the 12 of them and Jesus taught them and prayed with them, we see the church going from house to house doing much the same thing. And so if you look in your sheet where it says, the little picture I have on there, and it says coming together to group means... We come together to group throughout the week to disciple, to pray, and to encourage each other. It's not just this gathering right here, but we should actually throughout the week be grouping together. You know, church isn't just from, our our, our church time together, I should say, isn't just from 1030 to 12 o'clock. There should be these groupings that we have where we pray together and we fellowship together and we read the scriptures together. So I'm going to do this. Not as long as the last one, but let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And I just want to have you walk through and see this in the scriptures. You're going to get your fill of Acts today. Acts 2, this is where the 120 um, apostles, uh, disciples were. 120 disciples were praying. Acts 2, 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house. Remember, they were in John Mark's mother's house. It was this large upper room, probably the same room that Jesus Christ had his last Passover meal in. And it was probably more like a conference room. I mean, 120 people. I mean, that's probably what we have in this room right now. I don't know. I mean, so it was probably a, a room maybe this size right here. So it not, doesn't necessarily mean it was a small house, but they were gathering in this house. And you see this pattern. Look at Acts chapter 5 in verse 42. This is a passage we just read a little bit ago. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And I could, I could show you in other places in Acts where they go into the houses and they're, they're ministering to, to each other and encouraging each other. In fact, Saul, when he was a persecutor, went in from house to house in Jerusalem. You don't need to turn here, but Colossians 4.15 says... That there was a church meeting in a lady's house. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. That the churches in Asia, uh, Paul says the churches in Asia send you greeting, Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house. And so, and like I said, we could go through other examples. But what, what I want you to see is that there's, these, there's this grouping that should be taking place. 
And they were, the pattern here in Acts, they started to do that. Then on the first day of the week, when Christ was, the day that Christ was resurrected. And then we see these more intimate settings within the homes. And what were they doing in these homes? What were they gathering to do? Were they having, you know, the church service 2.0? No, no. They, they, sometimes they did. Sometimes they had services in the homes, but it wasn't necessarily always a duplication. They were many times fellowshipping together. They were breaking bread. In fact, you don't need to look at this, but if you go to Acts chapter 2, you can look, look at it and see that. They were going and they're fellowshipping, breaking bread. And of course, that meant communion, but it meant more than that. They were actually having meals together. If you look in Acts chapter 12, in fact, just flip there, Acts chapter 12, you can see they're meeting again in Mark John Mark's mother's home, and they're there praying. Peter's in prison. In Acts 12, 12, he's released by a miracle. And the Bible says and when Peter realized it, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many, so this wasn't the whole church, because there was 5,000, at least 5,000 believers in Jerusalem at this point. So we weren't 5,000 believers in here, but there was a group meeting in the home up there and they were gathered together. What were they doing? They were gathered to pray. So they grouped in homes to pray. They grouped in homes to teach and study the Bible. They grouped in homes for, for fellowship. In fact, the word for fellowship that we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is the word koinonia, which means to share. And what were they sharing? They were sharing their lives. They were sharing their spiritual lives. They were sharing their physical lives. They were sharing their homes with each other. And so what you see them doing is day by day, they would go to the temple and they would hear the preaching of God's word. They would go to each other's houses. They would encourage each other. They would pray together. They would read the scriptures together. They would study together. Then the pattern later on in Acts began. They did that, uh, the, the large group gatherings on Sundays. And then throughout the week, they went to each other's homes and encouraged and prayed with each other we live in a society right now that is the most connected society that probably has ever existed i mean we can i can connect with my sister who lives in indonesia i can connect with her on whatsapp just like that that's amazing she lives on an island in the pacific ocean somewhere on the other side of the world And we all are, in some ways, many of us, I should say, are connected with each other on social media. But also, we are in maybe one of the most disconnected societies, like relationally. I was reading an article that talked about this, and it was a study actually in England, and it was just speaking about how uh, the rate of depression and suicide is the highest it's ever been for this 18 to 25-year-old age group. And so here you have th- this young group of people who, for the first time in really the history of the world, are, are so in, in immersed into this social media. And we could all be like, oh, that's such a bad thing. But let me just tell you, that's the reality we live in. What's the answer? And what's the answer for us that are the old people and the young people? Some of you are laughing like the old person. Yeah, you're 41 years old. Well, for the young people, they think I'm old. So, But what's the answer? Like we need the church more than ever. We need the relationships that are that we have that God has provided for us, I should say, the relationships within the church. As a church, we must gather, yes, to worship Christ and to preach the word and to pray together and to give to support the gospel and to help people, but we also must group together. So what does that look like in our modern society? 
I don't think the Bible says that, you know, it has to meet at a certain time and it has to be done in a certain way. You just, there's certain ideas and different concepts, concepts and truths and principles we must follow. But what does that look like? What does it look like in modern 21st century? What does it look like at Lighthouse Bible Church? First of all, again, I don't think it just means that it's Sunday morning. I think it means that it happens throughout the week. And secondly, I think it means that, that your commitment to, to this group of people in here shouldn't just end at, you know, 1231 to however long you stay to fellowship with other people. We should, in maybe formal ways, where it's organized by the church, or informal ways, whether something you choose to do on your own, gather together. It could mean you meet in your home, invite someone over. It could mean that you go to a coffee shop. I like to go to Panera Bread and Starbucks and, and meet people there. And I've met many of you there. And, 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 and you could mean somewhere like that. I like doing coffee shops more than I do lunches because lunches, you gain too much weight. In coffee shops, I can just have coffee as long as I don't put too much cream in it. And then I gain as much weight as if I were to go to uh, out to eat. It, it could mean that you go on a missions trip. Here we have a missions trip going to Haiti. That's a, that's a great way to connect with people in a small group, that you have something that you're praying for something that you're working toward and then something that you go and do together with the Lord. And let me encourage you to go by the table in the back and and talk to them about that. It could mean that you're ministering to children. Right now we have people who are ministering to our children. And that's that's somewhat of a group. When you serve with someone else, it's a a great way to to encourage each other and to be able to serve the Lord together. At 9 o'clock, we have Sunday classes that, that teach in a small group setting. If you don't go to one of those classes, you really should. And I enjoy teaching one of the classes right now, but also enjoy listening to the classes. And if you're not a part of that, please sign up and do that. Or just go to it. Show up. We have a men's group that meets the first Saturday of the month for prayer and Bible study. The ladies are meeting on May 5th. The, the children and families come here on Thursday nights, and we have truth trackers. The youth are, at some point here, we're going to start meeting during the week as well. We meet in Sunday mornings, but have some other gatherings. We try to have gatherings for the singles. We uh, split up on the fifth Sundays to do home fellowships. We have some still weekly Bible studies taking place. And, and tonight we're grouping together for a Passover meal to celebrate and learn about Christ and his Passover. My point is, we already have some things and some of it is we need to figure out how can we get a part, be a part of that. I think the third thing I want to say is my desire is to lead us, to shepherd us as a church, to have more opportunities to gather or to group together and to live life as a community. Some of that involves better communicating with each other. Some of that involves maybe other opportunities for us to do that. And, and uh, we have Easter next week. And then the week after that is the 28th. And I'm going to talk more specifically on the 28th, what that looks like for our church. And I, I want to really be foundational these past three weeks. And since next week's Easter, it's not the best time to do it then. We're going to speak about Christ's resurrection. Amen. So on the 28th, I'm going to talk more specifically what this looks like. But how can we better group together as a church? How can we practically live what we've been learning these past three weeks? And then the fourth relational setting are discipleship relationships, whereby, listen, this is what I mean by discipleship, whereby one person's life touches another person's life in an intentional way to help them grow in Christ's likeness. People will sometimes ask me, what does it mean to disciple someone? One person touching another person's life in an intentional way so they can be more like Jesus Christ. 
you know, people think of these formal things, and sometimes it can be formal, can be going through a book, but many times it's going out with someone and it's saying, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Let's read this passage together. And that is discipleship. It's mentoring. It sometimes can be more than that. But we are to, to come together to group, not just in these small, maybe 12, 13, 14, 15 group, person groups, but also through friendship and committed relationships and friendships. And we see that pattern in Acts as well. Who was it that went and got Saul and brought him to be a part of the church? It was Barnabas did that. Who was it that, that Paul mentored first? It was Mark. And then Barnabas picked up and kept doing that. Who was the next person that, that Paul did that with? Timothy. So, so we see this pattern over and over in the scriptures where Jesus did this with his disciples and then the apostles and other pastors and men after that and women after that did that. In fact, Paul commanded Timothy, if you look at your sheet there, he commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, he says, what you have heard from me, in other words, Timothy, what I've done with you in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men also who will be able to teach others also. Pass this along, pass this along. Listen, every one of us in here needs fellowship. We need this kind of relationship. We can't, be se- we can't separate ourselves from these close, intimate relationships and friendships. I've had many men that uh, over the past number of years, as, as I've been a pastor, that I have done this with. In fact, some of those people have come out here and visited us. And it's really fun to be able to talk to them and see what's going on in their life. And these are very enjoyable relationships. And what I found is actually most men are nervous going into something like this, sitting down with someone, sharing what God is doing in your life, praying with someone. But all of us really enjoy it when we do it in the Lord. So let me ask this question. Who is that person in your life that you're seeking to do that with? We should be discipled. And we should be discipling. So who is that person that you are discipling? Whose life are you intentionally impacting to direct them toward Christ-likeness? One, one of the things I really appreciate about the elders here is that that's something they're doing. You might not know that, but each of them have one of these guys that are in the college and seminary, and they're mentoring them. They meet with them. And they do it in other ways as well. But this is something Jesus modeled for us. Paul and Timothy and and Barnabas, they modeled it as well. And God instructs us to do the same. And if we want to grow spiritually, it's good for us to relate to God and to one another within these spiritual relational settings. And that's actually called the church. That's called the church. So Acts 2.47, they were also praising God. We're we're not going to go through this one very long. Don't get worried. But the last one, the last thing we are to do as a church is we're going to go out and confess to the world the gospel. And that means we spread the gospel to our city and then our state and then our world that God has given to us. And so if you look in Acts 2.47, you can see in conclusion here. 247 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. Those are the unbelieving Jews. And then what happened? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is evangelism. 
Now, what was their evangelism program they had? What was the evangelism program? What, how, did, how did they grow as a church? You know, all these people are being saved day after day. What, what was it? Well, it actually was a pretty good plan. You want to hear the plan? It was a supernatural plan. They met as a church, as the church, and they prayed together. They asked God for boldness to go out in their community and tell people about Jesus. And then they lived real Christian lives, sacrificial, loving lives in front of people. And how did they get saved? What does it say? The Lord added to their number day by day. Listen, I can't save people. You can't save people. If, if people come to Christ in our community, it's because God does a work. So what's our responsibility? We are responsible to be faithful as God's church. You might say this way, all of this, what we talked about is kind of the result is that God uses us to see other people come to faith in Christ. And this is such an important task. In fact, I feel like I'm, I am minimizing it because it's at the very end of my speaking here, but it is so important. Next week we have Easter. I'm pretty certain there's going to be people in here that are not, uh, don't normally come to our church, maybe who aren't believers. And we hope the gospel goes forward and they hear it and they trust and they believe. But, but the life of the church should be about giving the gospel. It should be about giving the gospel. Jesus lived and preached the gospel. His death provided for the gospel. His going to heaven prepared the way to spread the gospel. In fact, one last passage. Go to Acts chapter 1. And Jesus ascends to heaven. And he says, I'm going to give you guys the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses. Church, we are the witnesses, or we are to be witnesses for Christ. And what do they do? Well, Christ ascends to heaven. In verse 10, while they were still gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So in other words, guys, go obey Jesus. Wait for the power of the Spirit and then go out and witness. I think sometimes, church, we can be like this. You know, we're kind of gazing. Sometimes at our phones, TV, sports, sometimes ourselves. We kind of just gaze and forget. There's, there's a world around us. There are people around us. It's a sobering reality that there's Thousands of people in our community who are dying and going to hell. And we need to give them the gospel. We need to give them the gospel. So what environment has God given us so that you can grow and be what, who God wants you to be? It's called the church. And please, church, don't fall for Satan's lie that, that pretends that spiritual help can be found outside of Christ and outside of his design. God has given you the church so you can glorify him in your life, in your job, and in your marriage, and in your family, and in your service. So what is the church? We are a community of Christ's disciples who, by God's grace, we're committed to Christ. We're committed to one another. We come together to gather into group and then 
we confess the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ.